I'm just seeing the variety of both human expression and ways of thinking and the, the importance of valuing it all. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski, and I'm looking at Dr. Paige Morahan. Hi, Paige. Hello. Hi. Well, we're glad to have Paige back. Another frequent flyer, a little reunion tour here with Dr. Morahan. Dr. Morahan first dropped her episode as number 60, March 13th of 2020. So guess what hit right around that time? So Paige was right at the front of all of that business. Let's not even talk about it. Maybe, but uh, you may know of Dr. Paige Morahan. She's a professor emeritus and for now, I guess, 27 years with ELAM, but most um, known for her work with FAMER, the Foundation for Advancement of International Medical Education and Research. So welcome back, Paige. Tell everybody else what all the other titles you hold right now and what you're doing the two years since we last talked. I'm, I'm still a professor emerita at Drexel University College of Medicine, only a volunteer now with ELAM. So I attend many of the alumni meetings and uh, webinar. Of course, we've moved to webinars as well. And, um, and so that's what I do for ELAM. And my major activity, as you said, Kim, is with FAMER. I'm still... Um, a consultant for FAMER and um, uh, still working actively for FAMER. Wow, so. unbelievable. And ELAM, for those of you who may be new to academic medicine, is the Executive Leadership in Academic Medicine program, started right there at Drexel. And it's the most uh, famous, most impactful program for executive women leadership and moving into dean positions and providing us with skills and expertise and knowledge and confidence around a lot of things we just don't learn in medical school or our doctoral program. So it's had a profound impact on moving women into um, C-suite positions. So thank you for your work you did there. Paige, uh, we, we, you know, we're trying to wrap our heads around everything that's happened the past couple of years. And I've invited all of our guests to talk about lessons learned and challenges and what's happened since the last time we talked. So I know you've got some great things that have happened, some comforting news for folks like me, but um, that have to do with Zooming. But why don't you just kind of get, get into what you want to talk about? Because I know you have a, done some really deep thinking about this and have a list and we'll just kind of start sharing. Several things on the, the challenges. As you said, the last time we talked, I couldn't even remember that it was right then. We had planned to start our FAMER program that week. Uh, in person. And of course, that was all changed. So the first major challenge that I wanted to talk about was just how you adapt to this new world. We have made three curriculum changes each year. There's been a curriculum change as we've we've pivoted. Um, The first year when they were coming, supposed to be in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. um, we delayed the class and started July 1st. And we redesigned between those months, between March and and July, um, completely redid our program. And we made it about 80% on asynchronous. 
and 20% synchronous uh, and over a year's period spread out. We purposely did our intentional design for that was knowing that these healthcare workers were going to have to be dealing with COVID and knowing that we were dealing with a 12-hour time difference, starting with Mexico as earliest and China as latest. Um, and so um, that we didn't want to have Zoom, too many Zoom meetings, which would be in the middle of the day in Africa and um, uh, Egypt. Um, so, um, so that's what we did that year. Um, the second year, we feedback we heard was that they wanted more synchronous time to they really enjoyed the opportunity to get together and of course we have small group uh, room the breakout rooms and um, so the second year we designed to probably be 40 percent synchronous and 60 percent asynchronous still spread out we found during we've just finished that that addition if you will and um, found that it was really difficult for people to, in the middle of the day, to get away. It was fine for India because it's after work. We have our classes from 8 to 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern time, um, but not didn't work in Egypt or Africa. Um, so um, to be able to always be, be a place. So now we're doing a third pivot. Okay. Our class is starting uh, June 1st um, this year, uh, where we're having two weeks of intensive online activities, four hours a day from uh, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. our time. Uh, we're expecting people and advising people, fellows and their deans, that they will need time off for this two weeks. So we're hoping to reproduce more closely our immersive face-to-face -face experience by doing this and then have very limited uh, synchronous times uh, once or twice a month for the uh, eight months after that. Wow. So as I said, it's been, and each one we have to adjust. Are we doing, uh, how, you know, voice over PowerPoint uh, for, for, uh, asynchronous or are we doing doing it in session so each year there's been a redesign oh my word i just I, I i feel for you i'm so impressed and at the same time exhausted hearing about that because i know the work that goes into it's not just simple of like just stick it all online it is a serious thoughtful process of if this then that it's a huge decision tree that all the way, all of our expectations as organizers and as instructors really get just spun around and mushed up together. And for those of us who are teachers at heart and our passion is for that experience, it is so, it's such an emotional roller coaster trying to deliver the content and create those relationships and those aha moments on this flat monitor. So Bless all your hearts for continuing to stick with them. Just say, ah, we're going to take a year or two off because it's too much that you just keep evolving, keep adapting. That is, I guess, the lesson there. Right, right. And on the, you brought up the building community relationships, and that's the other big challenge that, <clears throat> that I personally have taken on 
because I feel that building a trust-based, um, respectful, uh, safe community is why I got into this with both Elam and Famer, where people could feel they could contact somebody at nighttime and feel like they they could find someone to to really talk through a problem with. So, um, and now we have to learn how to do it online. And so I view that as a challenge. How do we build that tight community when people do not ever get to meet each other face to face? Well, um, yeah, that, that, so how do you, how have you done it? And are you seeing evidence of, of this? Yeah. Our evidence right now is we just had the closing sessions of year one and year two. Uh, these are our first classes that were totally online because uh, the first year we did it, our second year class had had their experience face to face the year before. Right. So this is our, you know, our first totally online cohorts. And I was surprised when we, we asked them, you know, what are the gifts you received uh, from Famer? And every single one in one way or another talked about the community, the networking, and how important it was to help them through things. In fact, we have one very pertinent right now. We had one fellow from Ukraine who could not finish um, because of problems in her school. Um, So she dropped out after the first year. Fellows have still kept in contact with her. And and even now during the during the war, and uh, so that shows they're caring. Now that that is so heartwarming. I'm so grateful that you're sharing that news because you know we were chatting earlier that that is my biggest concern. That when we go back to some new normal, we're obviously not going to just unplug the computers, and it's going to all be back in person, and we're going to be at the copier making paper copies and having binders and handouts and paper sign-in sheets. We're not going back to that. And we're not going to just stay on the computers. There's going to be some mishmash of both. And then how do I, as someone who's organizing these events and instructing in them, how do I build the community, maintain the community and maintain my sanity as I'm running around the classroom, checking on all the breakout sessions and then running back to the computer monitor to check on the virtual breakouts and the hand in the back of the classroom is going up, but then the chat window, someone's put the virtual hand up. How, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And it's, and it scares me that it would all be for naught. So just first of all, I guess, I mean, thank you so much for reassuring me and those of us who do this that no, we get it. We still have that fundamental need for an ability to build community even if it's on this kind of a medium or some hybrid version. That, that's the good side. On the counter side, in our evaluation, we uh, have a question that asks um, ask about, did you learn as much as you would have face-to-face and oh, did, no. you know, your relationships uh, face-to-face and virtual? And those are always the lowest scores. Oh. Um, you know, we generally get out of a seven-point scale, you know, generally five, higher fives and sixes. Um, but that one, those are lower in the in the fours. Um, 
So, so there is still the longing, longing for that. And I don't know how we address all of it. What we are doing specifically as teaching strategies, as I said, we've moved to this immersive online experience, um, but only four hours. We, we had, we had one of our, our regional institutes did seven hours. Oh no. <laughs> um, we're, we're doing four hours. We're doing lots of, we, we already do, and we're planning even more breakout rooms and breaking the fellows into different, different um, groups for different purposes. One of our major um, that we've continued, we, we have something called learning circles where we intentionally put together um, five to six people from uh, different regions, different uh, disciplines. Um, and that's been very, and we're, we're not involved. We give a, give a protocol, um, which has been uh, published in um, MedEd portal. And so we adapted that for, um, for online. And we, so we give time during synchronous session for the breakout groups, so they don't have to worry about trying to schedule across uh, across you know continents and all. Um, and we've and that was also commented on in the as one of the factors in the in the uh, forming community. So we know we're going to continue learning learning circles. We as said we'll we'll also have the other breakout breakout groups for for. Uh, doing something together appears to be important, you know, active learning. So we will continue to have um, have them do things that require a report out of some type or another. And then this brings me, I think, to the new, the new change that we're doing. We're moving to, we've had since 20, 2001, we have had listservs. Mm-hmm. which are now getting to be sort of archaic. <laughs> right. Um, and we've done, we did that and kept it up without moving because we could have moved to uh, using a learning platform, um, you know, Blackboard, or we're now using Moodle. Um, but we did not because um, people, uh, the connectivity issues, even to connect with something like that was been problematic at least through the 2010. So we've maintained it. However, this year we're moving to an online platform called HiveBright, H-I-V-E-B-R-I-T-E, to connect all of the famer fellows around the world. This is the first time that we'll ever have been able to do that. So we'll have 16 platform that we'll uh, hopefully will enroll 1,600 famer fellows. Oh, my word. We will have rooms within that or platforms within that for each regional institute. Uh, We'll have special interest groups uh, that can be uh, for, these are like online forums, but they'll be more organized in that you can have threads that you can't, of course, in a listserv. We will have a place for announcing uh, meetings because there are lots and lots of meetings going on and workshops that now you can invite people to because they're mostly by Zoom. So people can share their expertise more. Um, so these are some of the um, some of the features. To start it off, our plan is to 
have the current the fellows that are coming in in 2022 introduce themselves. We do this we do this on the listserv. So now we're going to move it to Habright, which we call Famer Connect. By the way, right? Famer Connect. We're um, going to have these 2022 incoming fellows introduce themselves uh, on have on uh, Famer Connect, and so that all of the community can welcome them uh, and. Uh, from wherever, whatever country they're from. It's, uh, and then we'll continue that. Uh, our plan is to continue that with each regional institute when their fellows uh, come on board. So we'll immediately be able to get to know the new group of fellows. Wow. So I've never heard of Hive Bright page. And I, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around this. Is it can you describe the experience for the user? Is it kind of like one of those? It's not in the way that the platform works. Is this not? Is it Facebooky that I would go during the day and I go and look at the posts and go, "Oh my gosh, Paige Morahan just joined this community." I I, I visited there one time. And uh, you could do yes, you could do that. It's it's primarily um, a forum, so it's um, so it's like a. Uh, listserv in that you'll have posts that are um that are written um but they will be more organized since it's within a since it's within a platform that platform like has a um a way of keeping storing information that someone yes. could say hey has anybody seen where's the slide deck from blah 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 or where's the list of people who do no. that's no. Much, and it's right there it's a it's we're just, I'm just getting into using it myself because we haven't rolled it out yet. So I can't give you all the ins and outs. One of the reasons we we had several parameters. One, it had to be had to be able to be used in China. And very many platforms cannot be used in China. Oh my God. So second, we're um, we're having special, we're allowing Portuguese and Spanish so that our Portuguese and Spanish Brazilians and and Latin Americans can um, can have their listserv in their in their language. We were not able to do that with well. We, people can do Mandarin, but the that it's not checked in this platform. So we're trying to make it easy for people to uh, to con- to connect in the way that is good for them. Oh my gosh, Paige! Yeah, I mean, so even even I'm thinking as a listener to your episode today, Paige, that even if someone's saying, I'm not running or organizing an international foundation, I can still see the application of this concept um, to, as you're saying. Any, uh, or any organization. Right. Any organization. Right, right. If you're building. Like for Johns Hopkins alumni. Exact, exactly. Or if you want to get together a, a consortium of people who do pediatric nephrology, you rather than, as you're saying, someone keeping track of everybody's emails and sending out these kind of bulk emails once in a while, it's a it's a live, real-time right. place, one hub, one central location where people can rapidly get information, share information. Exactly. Exactly. Facebook, list serving, all the best elements, it sounds like. Yeah, what um what we are going to be working to uh, interest people in doing is to receive 
an email a, a week that gives an, a, a brief update. I think one of the models for this is the International Leadership Association that I'm a member of. And so I'm a member of, of Gain Their Hub. Every week I get a just a summary of some of the topics that, that have been going on that week, and I can delve into them or not. Right. And so, so that we're hoping that that will be because we don't want to we don't want to have you know too much email traffic, but at the same time we want to keep people informed. Oh gosh, that, that you're right, Paige. I'm still struggling with the how to communicate, and there's rarely a week that goes by, or certainly not a month that goes by, when in our office of faculty development we are not you know beating our heads about how can how can we help faculty know what they don't know? And all the all the usual ways that we used to advertise things on plasma screens in throughout the university and the hospital. But if people aren't roaming around, we stop paying money to advertise to the, the cockroaches and mice. But you don't want to kill people with the emails because I coach faculty members who are like, at the end of the day, I, I, I can't get through my email. So I don't want to be another, ah. Here's another email. So it's just a constant struggle with trying to get important information, filtering it, making it precision. So I can't get out of my head the concept of precision faculty development, but there, there has to there has to be ways that we can tailor information to meet people exactly where they are when they need it in the in the way they, they need to receive information based on their preferences. I wish we could, you know, just tailor all of that stuff because it would. Well, it's a whole new technology that's um, it's evolving. And so this to me is one of the most fascinating areas and where I'm really want to spend, spend much of my time. Again, how do you build and nurture online, safe, intimate communities? And it's this can be for churches, it can right. be for alumni, it can be for any organization. Uh, I think it's going to be a need. Mm-hmm. Paige, just as you're as you're saying this, how do you how does Famer? It sounds like it's such a unique kind of gem of a program, but what do you do? You know, as a lifelong educator, how do you engage people? on the, just as a very simple question, I, and I guess it's, but it still hounds me when people don't want to put their cameras on. And so like during the, the pandemic, we didn't, we were very, um, you know, don't, you don't want to put your camera on, don't put your camera on. Some of you may be, you know, in bed or you're, you're wearing a hoodie and you're exhausted to get it. And yet the flip side of that is, gosh, if you're in our leadership program and we've never seen your face and your camera's never on, and then when we send y'all to breakout rooms, you're still there because you didn't click the go to breakout, accept the break. So are you there really? And are you doing emails? Are you, you know, closing your patient? What is, how do you, do you have any tips for those of us who struggle with the, you know, in the whole context of the spirit of building trust and community and, and, and safe knowing places, knowing each other safely, if you never see somebody or they're not really engaged, you know, in the olden days in the classroom, you could see the ones who were reading a, a newspaper in the back of the classroom or on their Blackberry back in the day. How, how do you handle that? Or how do you get around that? The kind of there, community? there are a couple, couple of ways. One, 
we do not worry about the black screens because in our world, many of the black screens are there because of low connectivity and that, that they can hear better if they don't have the extra burden of the, of the um, power for the, or the bandwidth, I forget, whatever it is. So we don't worry about that. We do, uh, most people, when they, when they speak, they do try to put their video on for just for that for that amount of time. But so we don't. So we don't have a a way, we don't berate people if they're not. What we do is um, usually usually there are a couple of people um, involved in teaching, and one of us will be active on the chat. Mm-hmm. So we have an active chat conversation going on. And this um, this can often be good for those people who have a low bandwidth. Uh, and I do I do encourage that uh, in online teaching anyway to have two people to kind of monitor, help monitor who is raising their hand because uh, um, and um, so I think that's one way I handle it and. Uh, often I play the role of kind of summarizing in the chat kind of what has been said. So again, to kind of bring people up to speed. Uh, Or if we're doing a task, we're getting input from various groups, um, because I'm a fast typist, I'm the one that usually does it, Uh, I will um, put together a Word document and we'll give to people right right afterwards so that they so that they see kind of what the work that they did together. Like if you ask about promotion systems in, in schools for teaching, for instance, in one of our, or we ask about what were the teaching methods that impacted you the most in FAMER um, that you might use at home. So I, you know, I, I put that together and give back to them so that they have a kind of a collective document. Yeah. So I think these are these are all ways of kind of helping build community. Another, um, so we don't don't worry about black screens. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I like how you're describing. It sounds like it sounds like you're just a um, you're not as concerned or anxious. Maybe I I feel like I'm anxious that I. And that's an interesting something and probably a different conversation as in, as instructors. I really want people to get everything out of everything and be super involved and be active. And when we say go off and do your breakout room, I expect you to march over there and quickly get into the, the you know assignment. Maybe it's that's a controlling aspect of the, yeah. the schoolroom teacher. And it's it's still hard for me. It's funny at in my doing this for so long to realize that. My job is to facilitate and not to direct and control and assume that, you know, the learners are motivated adults who have higher degrees of education. They're not being forced to be in our programs. They chose to be there. So we have to, or I have to trust the process that they're going to get what they need to get from it. And as long as it's not, there's nothing that's distracting other learners, um, then I guess I need to just kind of 
relax a bit because I, frankly, I've been really nervous about getting back into how it's going to look and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and how we're going to make sure all our faculty are, are happy and we're reaching them and we're doing our best for them. And you said something a couple minutes earlier that you know, was a big reminder. There are at least a you said there are at least a couple of us. I'm the one who's monitoring the chat right there. We we can't necessarily walk into a class like we used to do in the old days and walk into a classroom like I got this. Our team members, we need team members, even more people. We need, uh, I know I need for technology. There's every other presentation I give, eight slides in, somebody will say, are you moving your slides? Because it sounds like maybe you're moving your slides, but we can't see your slides moving. And I just want to, you know, scream. So I still need a team of people helping me to do this. So I, gosh, I can't imagine going back or going forward and doing this on my own, it's going to require even more people. So how are you dealing with that? I mean, are you doing the same thing, Paige? Hmm? Am I what? Are you, are you experiencing the same need for? We're, We're fortunate. We're fortunate in that we have a technical uh, specialist, uh, education specialist who, um, who does rec- does recording for Zoom? Post it to Moodle. I mean, he's he's designed the Moodle system. So Ryan and he's incredibly effective uh, and talented. Ryan is always there. Oh. And then then um, and then there said there usually are at least a couple of teachers uh, who are who are involved. And so one of us will be involved more in the chat, and then we may switch off. You know, so that we're have this constant uh, going on. When you talk about um, again the the, uh, the the having the black screens, um, when we when people do come on, often we'll see them in masks in their in their clinical setting because they're again this is the middle of the day and they're you know they're so you can so, right so um, it's. Um, just being respectful of that. Yeah. Um, another thing that we have done um, is um, had discussions about, you know, food and holidays. And so things, things that aren't necessarily work related to get to know people. So that's, that's part of our kind of cultural, cultural uh, humility aspects. Uh, Reminding us of our humanity and that we have, we all have lives and like to eat and have kids and families and friends and hobbies. Yeah. That's, it always seemed to me when I first started doing this, like, well, nobody cares about that stuff. They came here because they want to learn about, you know, X, Y, Z. But then I realized, no, that this whole building relationships, this is important, especially if you're spending more than this is not a drive by one hour seminar and you're never going to see people again if you're in a longitudinal program and you're going to be working with people yeah you want to know a little bit about them it really does in our in our class this year we had a marriage and we had a first child you know so those are types of occasions and we've had you know people who've had come down with COVID and have been fairly ill so life so these are this is life I love it the other thing I like about the Zoom chat is that you can ins- insert documents, attach documents. And um, that's been a place 
think one thing I wanted to kind of be sure and interject is this pandemic has certainly uh, taught me, you know, what, what is important to me in life. And like this building community globally is, is one of my ways to at least bring a little more understanding to the, of, of the world and to the world. And for that reason, I like the, the chat because I can insert some, I do art photography. And like I can, uh, if somebody shares something, I can quickly, I'm on the computer, I can go and bring up one of my multi-language congratulation cards and just put it right in the chat. And so again, it's a way of showing, you know, showing uh, personal uh, connections and, and sharing my artistic talent. So I, I, that is, I, I, that's beautiful. I love that that is just a reinforcement of I hear you, I see you. We care about you. And here's something about me you didn't know. And, oh, no, I took that picture and I'm sharing it with you. That that just kind of aha brings us out of the traditional learning mode to say, that's right. This is another human being who's on the, in that box over there. And she's got a story and she's got probably many, many stories. And and I have stories, too. And so this might be a place where she's sharing that I can share. So that really opens up opens up more of ourselves, I think. So I'm so glad that you do that. That's what a wonderful experience. Yeah, I hope. I just, um, so that's, to that end, I have um, decided to ramp up my art business and I now have a, a web page called Pages Pages Gallery uh, that I, um, that I'm, I'm trying to, as I said, uh, raise money for Famer through this. It's kind of, I'm at the stage of life where I can enjoy doing things like that. Pages, pages, gallery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, what is the pages, pages around the world? That's my, um, my, I'm going to just, I'm going to put it in the chat so you can see. <laughs> we'll, we'll share, we'll link it to the, the facultyfactory.org. I don't, don't want to get that one to get another one. Let me, Look here. Oh, here's where. So let me see. I'm going to describe to everybody what I'm what I'm looking at here. Joy from around the world. The calendar that I put together for wow. for Famer this year was Joy around the world. Wow. So I think you're able to see it. Yes, we're gonna put we're gonna post this Joy from around the world. What beautiful portraits in a calendar format. So what a nice way of sharing your your gift and your hobby and your talent to not only bring people together, but to, you know, support a good cause. So I love it. That's a, that's a good um, little little tidbit for things that we can do ourselves. I know so many of our faculty members here at Hopkins during orientation, when we asked them, you know, what do you like to do? We were surprised at the breadth of hobbies and cooking and baking and hiking and boxing and foreign films and their eyes lit up when we showed who said what and said you got to get a hold of this person because you six people of these 300 do that and you could almost see them kind of smiling and then the chat was blowing up of people saying oh really so it's a fun way of of connecting people so that's beautiful great work Paige I'm I'm the one who um when I take pictures I invariably have my my phone strap in the field of vision, or I've got it turned around in selfie mode. I'm 
16 pictures of my nostril. Not a good, not a good picture page. <laughs> oh, Paige. So what I know you wanted to, can we, can I pick your brain a little bit about the promotion and tenure systems and scholarship and what you're seeing, you know, through your, your lifelong career and working with thousands of people around the world, are you seeing any signals for health centers being able to adapt or starting to dip their toe in some of these unconventional ways of measuring? Unfortunately, I'll say I've not seen as much as I had hoped Hmm. for this stage in my life. Um, It's, um, I think we, we are broadening uh, the view of scholarship to some extent. However, I'm still um, am disenchanted with the publication systems when people, uh, you know, when I get reviews, like I can't remember a review from a paper which was subsequently published in another journal for ELAM that said this was our study where we use the AAMC database and made cohorts of women who had attended ELAM, women who had not attended ELAM, and men, all stratified by the the, um, same year that they were um, appointed to assist professor. They were in the same schools, and and people were saying, you need to have a randomized study. You know, totally inappropriate. Completely. We're so wedded to, you know, I started out as an experimental researcher, mm-hmm. but we're so wedded to that one paradigm that we cannot accept other paradigms. Um, another one is, um, so we're not accepting podcast, which I think we should, because uh, that's a way so many people are learning now. We're, um, we're not accepting, I think we're moving to altmetrics but it's not really widely used in, in um, and however, uh, tweet groups, Twitter groups are where a lot of knowledge is being, is being delivered now um, and communities, and they should be more respected than they are in the, in the, in the promotion part. And finally, we're not valuing lived experiences. I'm in a book club this year. Um, this is work kind of anti-racism learning that I'm continually doing. This year, we're reading books that are written by indigenous authors, primarily American, Native Americans, but also some others. We've read three books so far, and I've been struck that the format is so different than the European format of you start at A, and you go to B, and you go to C, and you may circle back a little bit. Their writing is is totally different. It's um, vignettes from point A and a vignette from B and a vignette from C, and eventually it may come together. But the it, the first book I had trouble getting through because it was so different. I'm now kind of getting used to this format and and see that it is it is a format and it is a legitimate format. Oh, this, this However, is it's completely different from such a great, great point you're making, Paige. And I want people to know if you don't know Dr. Paige Morahan, this is a scientist. 
started off as a research technician who's a chair of microbiology immunology. So this is a hard science by the books, trained in the classics, the traditional way of doing science, talking about the fact that there are many ways to tell a story. And isn't that what science is, is trying to figure out the protagonist, the antagonist, what happened, they got together, that this one happened, and they fell in love, and then they got pushed apart. And then you start telling a story, you're sitting around a campfire. And once upon a time, there was a, oh, people have wrapped attention. So to me, science is about telling a story about this cell and that cell. When they get together, they do this. And then this bad guy comes into the town and there's a new sheriff in town. And then that IL-6 and IL-5 pathway, all that stuff is storytelling. And you're exactly right. Just the way our culture has trained us to tell that story or to relate that story is ingrained in us. And that's such a beautiful example of opening up our eyes and reframing our vision from a different perspective. And it's still a story. It's just a different way. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a beautiful reminder of how that we need to broaden our horizons of what is science and how do we tell science and you're right, Paige, people, they're tweeting the, these little infographic, these visual graphics that tells a story in a, in a, in a click of a finger, a click of a mouse. So why don't we infra- infographics? I've, I've thought of, you know, studying infographics because I, I, I think they're so useful yeah. well, you in know, getting complex data together. That's right. And then that it's kind of going in line with what you're saying earlier, Paige, with different cultural storytelling metaphors and allegories and isn't it so true that throughout the history of time you hear these an ancient tale was told and you're like what the heck does that have to do with anything but it's it requires you to think and replace concepts and and be creative and that's all science so I think that's a wonderful example of equity in a a very broad form of being open to other cultural traditions of storytelling to inform our own science. Oh, there's pagespagesgallery.com. I love it. Pagespagesgallery.com. Beautiful. Oh, at any rate, I think at this stage of my life, I'm just seeing the variety of both human expression and ways of thinking and the, the importance of valuing it all. Where there's not one way that is more valid than another way. There. And I don't see our promotion committees yet there. I think they're going to get there. They're going to get there. They're going to get there. I, I'm, I'm at the stage in my career, uh, Kim, where I say I'm continuing to put out seeds that may not germinate, you know, until after I'm gone, but I'm continuing putting out those seeds. That's right. That- Selling seeds. I love it, love it, love it. Dr. Paige Morahan, you've given us so much to think about. This is wonderful. I'm going to be chewing on this all afternoon. I love it. The Pages Pages. PagesPagesGallery.com. This is Dr. Paige Morahan, Professor Emerita Drexel still, more than 25, 27 years at Elam, now steeped in Famer, F-A-I-M-E-R. And you can get a hold of Dr. Morahan at psmorahan at gmail.com. I'll spell that for you. P as in page, S, 
morahan, M-O-R-A-H-A-N at gmail.com. Thank you, Paige. This has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you and your contribution to the Faculty Factory community. Thank you so much, Kim. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.